welcome to the PW or P double R. Jesus Christ, poor dumb rebellion radio. Live and making more mistakes than ever. Because we just piled them on, baby. Um been a minute. Uh, still don't know what I'm doing, but uh, here's this. Seconds left, but Antifa. Do they exist? Because there's some Democrats don't think they exist. That it's uh, amazing, Republicans isn't it? are bringing it up because it's a distraction. Well, we'll have we'll have security hearings with the FBI and the Homeland Security Committee, and I will hear multiple Democrats question whether Antifa even exists. I will hear that in the halls of Congress. It, it truly is unbelievable. <laughs> and I say, guys. If you're not sure if they exist, there's hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of videos of them. They wear a uniform, basically. They have a symbol. Yes, they exist. Yes, they exist. They're, uh, you know, you can call them anarcho-fascist, communist, whatever they are. In any case, they're basically a domestic terrorist organizations. Okay, they're destroying property. They're hurting people. And, and they fundamentally want a revolution inside the United States of America. And we can't, mm -hmm. we can't sugarcoat this anymore. Seconds left, but Antifa... <laughs> Do they exist? Because it's uh, building the rhetoric around a straw man, a boogeyman, a uh, what truly is just a tactic of protest, a tactic of mobilization, um, is tr being morphed into some kind of Cronenberg uh, doomsday device for the Republicans. <laughs> And uh, what you heard was Representative of Texas, Dan Crenshaw, um, a pretty far-right individual, uh, speaking on Fox News. I believe this is probably Fox and Friends. Yes, indeed it is. And, uh, yeah, it's fascinating that he says, quote, yes, they exist. You can call them anarcho-fascist communists, whatever they are. Whew. Um calling anybody anarcho-fascist communist is just calling them a paradox um almost like calling them something that doesn't exist so it's fascinating that he would say that they exist and the category and label you pigeonhole them into does not matter because in the end it serves all the same purpose right fuck them that's the purpose of the whole rhetoric um to be perfectly honest uh as a person of anarcho tendencies I don't really like the antagonism that Dan Crenshaw takes against uh, people. These are human beings that he's uh, discussing, and he uh, wishes that there would be more state violence upon what he considers domestic terrorist. So, uh, there, there, there's so much more to expand on. The whole uh, Antifa language and the whole... Uh, just, you know, the idea of an oncoming revolution that's going to destroy the fabric of America and erase history. Um, this all really needs to be compounded very well and dissected in many videos. Taking the time to pick apart the narratives, the myths, and what really the facts are. Because they take five minutes of their time to muddle the facts and send in some disinformation. And that five minutes is pretty successful because that's all the time in the day that people really need to move their, their beliefs around or their opinions or their perspectives or what have you. But it all really depends on your own implicit biases, the biases that you hold before you actually take a position. Uh, the, 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 a lot of the positions that politicians try to exploit and use is the biases that you already have within yourself. 
Um, so that's Crenshaw there using your fear biases and uh, hate for anything uh, anarcho, fascist, and communist. Because to be perfectly honest, Americans hate all three of those words. And so if you're able to put them together and then put an image on them, um, you will effectively create that straw man boogeyman that you need so bad to defend your state power or your authority. So uh, good on Crenshaw for being a croon. Uh, oop, that's not a word, is it? I meant crony. All right. Moving on to my illiteracy. Um, as I've stated before, through the Anchor podcast platform, where anybody can do whatever the fuck they want and upload shit, um, I have about an hour to an hour and a half's time. But that's not really a problem, because I plan to crunch this shit in about an hour. I hope so. We have material here that's worth about 31 minutes and 26 seconds, but I want to get it in just at an hour. And what we have here is Michael Knowles of Pray, uh, no, of the Daily Wire persuasion, I believe, and maybe a, uh, I don't know, consistent uh, pundit at PragerU or whatever the fuck his job would be at PragerU. Um, and also Dave Rubin from, what, the Rubin Report, I believe, is his thing. Um, yeah, I, yeah, this is, this is great. They're going to be discussing 1984. And to make an early prediction, I'm certain that they don't know or they will not mention uh, that George Orwell was a socialist. I think it's pretty fascinating because I saw a video last week for PragerU that Ben Shapiro had made where he was talking about how we can't forget John Locke because of his inspirations, I think, on Thomas Jefferson was his point, but also that the fundamental beliefs or principles that John Locke had uh, philosophized and theorized back in his time. Um, I found that very fascinating um, because John Locke has the name of father of liberalism. I always really thought PragerU and Ben Shapiro would be pretty against liberalism, but I still haven't really quite found the connection because also, too, John Locke was an American. He was actually... Uh, before the birth of him, uh, of of America, like the true birth of the de and he was way before the Declaration of Independence, and so I I still haven't really found the exact connection that Ben Shapiro wanted to make with John Locke. But what I kind of got the gist of is that it's a re reappropriation of beliefs. Um, throughout that Prager vi U video, Ben Shapiro does not mention once that he is the father of liberalism. Not Ben Shapiro, but John Locke. He doesn't mention that John Locke is the founder and father of contemporary liberalism. Well, not contemporary so much as just the origins of classical liberalism is what, sh what I should say. And yeah, the only thing I could see is that the three principles that Ben Shapiro talks about in that PragerU video is to be repurposed underneath a conservative banner um, because it's being said by a conservative. So what I'm going to guess here is that in this PragerU video um, with uh, Michael Knowles, a known conservative, right? I'm pretty sure he's a known conservative. And then Dave Rubin, the fake liberal, obviously a conservative, are going to reappropriate 1984 underneath the same thing, underneath the conservative banner. They're not going to mention that uh, George Orwell went to Catalonia to join anarchists in their fight against uh, the Franco regime. 
in the 1930s. He went and actually fought fascism. George Orwell would be today considered as a member of, of Antifa. Now, remember, there is no such thing as a membership to Antifa. You're either anti-fascist or you're not. But George Orwell proved he was anti-fascist by traveling to Cat Catalonia, joining the Poyum militant group, and fighting side by side with them, and then later writing about it in the homage to Catalonia, which I keep looking at on my shelf over there. George Orwell wrote uh, Animal Farm, which was kind of an, an analysis of the Bolshevik revolution in a way. Um, he was very anti-authoritarian, and he was very anti-fascist. And so it would behoove the conservatives to reappropriate his views and opinions and beliefs and what have you underneath their banner because it i feel like it just without the proper research and knowledge you can easily take the rhetoric and just move it to what you say you believe much like american idealism we're not quite there but we can say we are you know i hope that made sense if not fuck it here to help me understand the world we're living in. I'm sorry, I mean 1984 by George Orwell. The great Dave Rubin. Dave, thank you for being here. Knowles, it's good to be with you. I mean, that is not a joke, what you just started there. This is the world we are living in. I want you to I tell was me. thinking of calling you Winston, and you can call me Winston <laughs> yeah. throughout this. We should just call each other Winston. We are living because in... Because we're all Winston now. Yes. Winston, the protagonist of 1984. Tell me if this sounds to you yes. like a paragraph of a novel or like a news story about our world right now. Wait, before you even read the quote, you could literally pick any quote <laughs> yes. from the book and it is applicable now. So whatever you're gonna you're say, right. no, you're right. I am gonna agree, but I will jump off. I've noticed this one actually, some people have been picking up on this. 1984 is having a sort of renaissance it these is. days. Yeah. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. Every book has been rewritten. Every picture has been repainted. Every statue and street and building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And that process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. He literally only picked that quote just because of the fact that I had the whole statue and the erasure of history, which is something that the conservative right has been f desperately grabbing onto because they're afraid of uh, change. So, um, or even actual understanding of history. Sounds like life on Twitter. Yes. Right? I mean, an <laughs> endless present, and that was part of what the system was trying to do. You know what's fascinating about Twitter and it being an endless prison is that it's not, and you can log off at any point. In fact, you don't have to have a Twitter account. But Dave Rubin knows that's not true. He has to have a Twitter account because he has to participate in the, uh, I don't know, marketplace of ideas in the manner uh, such as this. So um, they are all actually prisoners to Twitter only because Twitter is a powerful platform, not because of any rule of law or fascism. So, uh, yeah. The Ministry of Truth and Winston worked there, and he was one of the people that was basically using language yeah. to confuse people. He was intentional. I mean, that was the whole purpose of all of this was to get people to question everything. Right? Well, I, I what, is, get... what is two plus two equal again? I mean. This...
to get people to question everything. Right? Well, I, I what, is, get, what is two plus two equal again? I mean, th it, this was the yeah. ultimate purpose. I, I want to get to this language point because yeah. I think yeah. this is the rookie. What he, what Dave Rubin just said made absolutely no sense to me. Was the purpose of the Ministry of Truth to be for people to question everything, or is he talking about 1984 created so that people question everything? That was very, very fucking confusing. But to be honest, with the Ministry of Truth, it doesn't make sense for them to create uh, truths as the job is of them uh, of it, which I think Winston's job was actually to go through uh, previous articles that happened in the past to either erase dissidents that had uh, been disappeared or to uh, change outcomes, actually, to, like, the, the, the party one week would say, or a month, one month would say that they're going to have a certain amount of rations, and then that month would come by, and it would turn out that they're going to have less rations. So it would be Winston's job to then edit that old news editorial to say that the right amount, or the, the what the party says is the amount that was always going to be there so that the party is never wrong. So he'll go back through and change facts of history. Um, how would that how would that entitle people to start asking questions? It's a it's a masking of 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 truth to uh to the highest of degree to literally go back over everything and change it to fit the structure of the present. I don't think that begs the question from anybody. So, it begs me the question of what the fuck did he mean? But we're moving on, so I'll just a quick summary for those of you who haven't read it yet. And I'm gonna if skip anyone hasn't read I'm gonna skip past this part. Um he Yeah, I'm gonna skip past him telling this. Uh, just go read nineteen eighty four or go watch a fucking Spark Notes. Uh, we don't need his like summary of it because it's gonna be broken down into the little bits that he needs. Um I just wanna get to the bits that he wants to give us. He's still in the party, but he's in the outer mm -hmm. party. There's the eyes, spread through political dissidents. What's it called? The Ministry of Love. Mm -hmm. And they're, uh, the, the totalitarian government is referred to as Big Brother. Big mm -hmm. Brother is always watching you through screens, through TV cameras, always monitoring you. Winston has this sort of illegal love affair with this girl, Julia. Mm -hmm. And they're just trying to escape this modern totalitarian madness Finally, they're caught out. Doesn't torture not try, and they put They don't try to. They don't try to escape. They're actually baited into joining a, uh, a pseudo resistance. Um, see, that's what I'm talking about. That's why I didn't want to get the summary from him because it's not going to be a good summary or accurate. Basically, a contraption on him with. Right, just gonna keep. He moving. basically points to her and and causes them to. Her, go yeah. get her. There's this intellectual admission where they say, "What is two plus two? Yeah. What is two plus two and is two four. Plus, yeah, no. No. Five. This is like one of the biggest parts in the book, though, that like I've seen so many times used in uh, Twitter discussions. People always referring to this moment when they're discussing uh, the post-truth world that we actually live in. Um, that everybody is forced to believe in certain things and they always bring up, ah, two plus two equals five. <laughs> That's why you wear a mask. Five. You have to say, you have to believe that two plus two equals five. That's the thing, though, is that actually that's not even the the exact thing that um, 
that party member was trying to teach Winston, the th whole thing about 2 plus 2 equals 5 is it's actually just supposed to be 2 plus 2 equals whatever the party says it equals. Look, everything, it's so bizarre to see this um, right now because, or to read this. So I originally read the book, I think I was in 11th grade. So yeah. this is long, this is like 92 or something like that, 93. It's a long time ago. And then I reread it over the last couple months. And, you know, on Twitter, it's like everything that we're seeing, nothing means anything anymore. The way words are constantly used, or everything that we hear without making this too political to the day right now. It's hard so much not of, to. You know, it is hard not to, but so much of what we hear about from the left is exactly what 1984 is about. So <laughs> words are violence now, but violence is not violence. These are things that they create to act. He needs to explain himself, but that's, that's kind of the benefit of talking on PragerU is that one, Michael Knowles isn't going to challenge what he's saying. And two, he doesn't have to explain himself because everybody watching this right now knows exactly what he's talking about. But me being on the opposite side of the uh, normal rhetoric that would be used on PragerU, the Rubin Report, and the Daily Wire, I don't know what he's talking about with violence isn't violence. Who is perpetuating the idea that violence isn't violence? The only ones that I see defending violence are the conservative right-wing side who says that the state violence happening in Portland, Seattle, and numerous other places just recently over the weekend, all of those places were state violence. And they are completely apologist for it. And they say that it's justified and needed in order to protect the, the public safety, quote-unquote, and property. actually make us question everything. And then once you question everything, well, then gender is up for question. And all of the things that should be settled are no longer settled. And then what I f completely forgot about that I found was interesting is that one of the things that they're also trying to sort of untie, that the Ministry of Untr uh, Truth is trying to untie, is the idea of time. And it does feel like right now that time feels a little weird. It's partly because... Dude, did Dave even read this fucking book? Did, what? The Ministry of Truth makes... Let's get that quote again, because bitch, what? Time. And it does feel like right now that mm. truth is... One of the things that they're also trying to sort of untie, that the Ministry of Untru uh, Truth is trying to untie, is the idea of time. The Ministry of Truth trying to untie the idea of time. He almost had it. All he had to really do was say the Ministry of Love. Because Ministry of Love is the one where they would take them and force them into like these blank, this blank white building with absolutely no wall, uh, no, uh, Jesus Christ, windows, no outlooks. It's just solitary confinement everywhere you go. That fucked with Winston's time scale pretty hard, especially with the amount that he had to keep going to room, uh, I can't even remember, 201 or some shit like that, but um, it's been a little bit since I read it. I think it was like six months ago or something like that, but um, I don't know. I feel like I still have a, bit, a little bit firmer understanding than Dave Rubin does so far, just because I don't even think he knows what the Ministry of Truth did, so... <laughs> And it does feel like right now that time feels a little weird. It's partly because of the lockdown, 
partly because you know we're we're trapped at home. We're all on social media. But doesn't time feel mm. sort of sort of strange right now? Like anything could happen at any given minute. Right. And I think that all leads to a sort of well sick society where two. It's also fascinating that he doesn't equivocate this idea to Trump being in office because things didn't seem this uncertain before Trump and especially before this year like this year itself has become so incredibly spontaneous spontaneous and uncertain um i feel like it's all to be shifted underneath the trump exacerbating situation column he exacerbates literally and exacerbates and exploits almost every situation he comes into and that's why we see worsening conditions in almost every social issue that we've been suffering from since fuck who knows like the early 1900s maybe longer um it's it's hard to tell how far back a lot of this historical materialism actually like reaches into the present um but it it really does suck that dave rubin is able to completely blindfold himself to the idea that trump is the root of the uncertainty in 2020 not so much overall because we've had these social issues before trump but the exacerbation of them during trump and he's able to just completely skirt out the way of that plus two eventually will be five if they just tell you there are so many of these contradictions or absurdities that come up i mean the three slogans of the party that you've yeah. always got to repeat they've got it on the back of the book right here war is peace freedom is slavery Ignorance is strength. This could be the chance of protesters that we see marching all around the West. Quite literally. I mean, one of the things that I talk right. about all the time now is that it's the anti-racists who are the racists. You're right. Mm. This is almost like a two-minute, like, this book club found its way to be like a two minutes of hate against the leftists. And that's because they're reappropriating george orwell's thoughts as if they're of the right-wing persuasion he was a fucking socialist and i really wish we could get a live reaction from george orwell on this shit but he would just i don't i don't know how his reaction would be but it, it would not be uh, positive or really accepting of this wow right if you yeah. if all the people that are running around now proclaiming that the rest of us are racists, they're the ones that are pushing racism into society. What? That doesn't even make any sense, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. It's, it's, it's double think. For the anti-racists are actually the racists. Think about it. Just think about it. They're the ones talking about racism. You're not racist. The system's not racist. The anti-racists are racist. If that ain't double-think up the motherfucking ass, I don't know what is. But, like, I just have to assume that Dave Rubin really does think that everybody viewing this is just an idiot. Every, wow. Everywhere. They're the ones that are saying black people should have special dorms. And that... Who's saying this? And, of course, he doesn't have to explain himself because we're watching a PragerU video. White people shouldn't you know, be, uh, be allowed to have certain jobs or that they shouldn't be considered equally. Are we talking about the voice actors thing again? You guys had over a hundred years of animation to play as many characters as you want. 
And now that we're becoming a little bit more socially conscious, you're mad that you can't do a fake Indian accent to play Apu? You're mad that you can't have three crows singing in a, in a Dumbo movie? All white guys? In crow makeup? Come on, Ruben. Come on, dude. You know there's you know that there's so much better arguments down there, down in the, the, the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. uh, those are racist notions. So we live in a time where everything has been flipped. And for the few of us that uh, have a little bit of the spark of Winston, it's like, how do you make sure you're not one? Are, are they saying that they have the little spark of the Winston because Winston hates the party? Or do they have the little spark of Winston because they're actually the ministers of the Ministry of Truth? They're the ones who take events and rewrite them and revision them to fit a certain narrative. Maybe liberals are guilty of the same thing. Maybe leftists are guilty of the same thing. But when you get first-hand accounts from people who happen to be leftists, no matter what, you get a misconstrued and twisted version of that story by either of these gentlemen, if not both. One of Every the people time. who at the end is going two plus two equals five. I'm not sure. I, I will tell you one other thing. I'm actually watching The Handmaiden's Tale yeah. right now. Did you watch it by I, any chance? I did. I've seen some of it. Not the so, whole thing. so I'm watching it right now. And there, the parallels to 1984 are absolutely right. incredible because this is exactly uh, what the main character, June, is going through. And it's so funny because the show came out a couple of years ago and everyone kept saying, this is what's happening in Trump's America. Yeah. Except I'm watching it now in the midst of, you know, what's happening with Black Lives Matter and everything else. And it's like, no, it's all the left. It's, it's That's hilarious. They're equating people's movements. Um, they're, they're, they're equating the organization of people's power, protests in the streets, demonstrations of their First Amendment rights as fascism. This is state apologensia to its fucking zenith. These gentlemen do not care about people. They have even less remorse for the suffrage of the working class and those within the proletariat suffrage movements. These gentlemen are comfy enough to sit there and point fingers at strawmen all day, trying to get you to yell at scarecrows, maybe even stab a few, maybe even shoot a few. Because they're telling you that they're coming for your rights. Because they're telling you that they're coming for your freedom. That's not what the protest movements are about. They don't even have that power. The ones that have the power are the ones in the seat of power. And that is Trump and his ghouls. The ghouls created PACT, Protect American Communities Task Force. And they have been rounding up protesters. Kidnapping them, putting them in unmarked vans. We have actual secret police going around. And these two have the gall to defend the state and demonize people. You have to wonder whose side they're really on. Are they on the people who sign up for this fucked up book club? And the ones who donate to PragerU? The, the small donations I'm speaking of? Because of course... They have very large donations, Home Depot being one of them. 
He looks he 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 looks nefarious. I, I I got the perfect screen cap if you want to check it out on YouTube. Michael Knowles looks extremely nefarious at the idea of uh, vulnerable people in the streets being the fascist movement. So this America, it's this yeah, yeah, America. It's not Trump right. that's doing this. It, yeah. It's the other guys yeah. that are doing this. So I think more than anything else, there's a beautiful thing when you read a, a work of fiction when you can go, holy cow. This was not only, it must have been true or true enough to have made sense when it was written. What, what year was the book written? Like, the book was, I guess, written in 1948, published, I think, in 1949. Okay, so 49. I mean, think about that. 70 plus years ago. Um, but yet feels like literally everything we're going through right now. Yeah. That, that's an incredible uh, compliment to a writer and to a, to a work. And he articulates this concept. I mean, the, I think the great one you use is yeah. that the people who say they're anti-racist are the ones who are acting in a racist <laughs> way. And the way George Orwell describes it is he calls it doublethink. Mm -hmm. So doublethink is this idea that you, you hold two contradictory ideas at exactly the same time like that the anti-racists are racist so you you can never admit that the ideas don't make any sense but you so for instance we have to w get rid of america's terrible past which had segregation and the way we're going to do that is institute segregation through seg who is arguing this and they don't have to explain it why because we're on prager you nobody's advocating for this People want racial justice. That is the Black Lives Matter movement. To hold counts, uh, cops accountable and for black lives to fucking matter. Nobody wants to segregate anybody. That's fucking insane. Unless, okay, are we going to talk about then um, the Nation of Islam? Okay, they want to segregate, but they're not a leftist movement. In fact, they're very far right because of the fact that they're black supremacists. Just like Identity Europa, a white supremacist group, on the right, yeah, it's a far-right group. In fact, their leader coined alt-right. So, segregation, separatists, supremacists, these are all right-wing ideas. Because, and I really cannot stress this enough, left-wing movements are very focused on egalitarianism and they want to extend it as far as they can through economic classes, gender classes, racial classes, all of them. They want egalitarian, horizontal freedom all across the board, not segregation. I mean, how would that make sense? How are you going to fight? How, how, how are you going to, how is Jordan Peterson going to call us, uh, cultural, uh, multicultural Marxists. And we're fighting for segregation? That's what I'm saying. The anti-racists are racist. The egalitarians are segregationists. They are instilling, through their own propaganda, doublethink. Segregation. Look, yeah. think about it this way. What's like the hottest book on the left right now? It's White Fragility. Yes. What's the subtitle of White Fragility? I don't know what it is exactly, but in essence, it's something like how white people can blah, blah, blah. That's racist. Yeah. That in <laughs> yeah, and right, of itself. Right. He's like, I don't even know what it says, but it's racist. All right. Let's look it up. 
Let's look it up. Since he doesn't know what it says and he can just say it's racist. Um, let's just look it up. White fragility. Why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. It was so hard for Dave Rubin that he couldn't even finish what the subtitle said. It was so hard for him to talk about it. He just had to go blah, 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 blah. Something like how white people can blah, blah, blah. That's racist. Yeah. That in <laughs> yeah, and of right, itself right. is racist. Yeah. Forget white fragility. Well, but then if you say how white people, the implication is all white people are this, whatever yeah. this is, that is racist. So you, they hold these two ideas that are completely at odds with each other. I might have to read White Fragility. It seems to really be irating uh, conservatives, but um, yeah, I haven't really wanted to read it. And they hold it because that allows you to believe anything basically at any given time. This is the well, key, yeah. you know. It's racist, yeah. forget white fragility. Well, but then if you say how white people, the implication is all white people are this, whatever yeah. this is, that is racist. So you, they hold these two ideas that are completely at odds with each other, and they hold it because that allows you to believe anything basically at any given time. That made absolutely no fucking sense. What were the two ideas that allow, the two ideas that people have to believe for them to believe anything at any given time? That... It's pretty wild, especially coming from a person who has switched sides, flip-floppity, like, um, you know, ham on rye, bro, like. <sighs> Dave Rubin started out, like, straight up on it as a Young Turks liberal, and then slowly just went to the left is the enemy strain. There's a great video out there by, I think, Jose, um, that covers uh, <laughs> Dave Rubin's evolution, which... Um, he is one to talk about having fluid beliefs. If you catch my drift, he has extremely fluid beliefs. I think at some point he even renounced his atheism and has gone Christian. Um, so it's it's just fascinating. His he, he all right, I I can get I can give points to people for developing as human beings, but for some reason Dave Rubens is just extremely regressive. Just like continuing to pull himself into the cis white male that he was always meant to be, which is weird. This is the key. Yeah. You know, so many words just have entered our language because of this book. Mm -hmm. Words like double think or new speak mm -hmm. or, or big, big brother is one. And new speak is the one I want to focus on because yeah. new speak is political correctness. Yeah. And the theory of new speak. I like how he doesn't have to explain himself. Is that the party, big brother, is going to get rid of all the old language that people have used for centuries and centuries and replace it with this new ideological party approved clean language which sounds robotic it sounds so crazy I instead of saying something is bad you'll say it's ungood or double plus ungood right, right. but so what does that sound like we're right now it sounds before we actually get into that and he's going to say it sounds like the leftists in the political correct or the sjw's or somebody on the left the whole point of new speak was to shorten people's thoughts it was to use language because we all use language outwardly and inwardly which i'm talking about our thoughts so if you can affect the way that somebody speaks you can shorten it in fact even remove vocabulary words from them like you know i have probably always 
been a Marxist. Like I accepted Marxist ideals because of my biases, right? But I never could put the exact words to them until I actually read Marx's writing or writings by other Marxists. I had to go out and find the vocabulary for the theories and for the praxis, right? By eliminating words, eliminating vocabulary from the English language, shortening and even just using the same words like double plus ungood, the double and the plus are also used in different um, places throughout the language. I can't remember specifically like double think and other there's other there's other terms throughout the book but by doing that you can then affect the way that somebody thinks you can then shorten their thoughts you can then it, like i said remove vocabulary words from it, basically disabling a way that they understand the world because how we understand the world is through categories by saying tree that sound we can identify a tree but if we remove it and that's, it's just a, a thing, right? Then it loses so much meaning and so much of its essence um, just for simplicity. And that's the whole use of Newspeak. The use of political correctness may be similar, only in the way that we want to eliminate certain language or vocabulary from people's thoughts or even the public consciousness, like the N-word or calling gay people the f-word, or just using antiquated terms that were only used by primitive races, barbaric, hateful people who wanted to put others down in order to lift themselves up because that was the only way they could. Not the same thing as Newspeak. Because we're eliminating racism, not thought. But if you want the freedom to be racist, you understand how we kind of reach an impasse level, right? We can't cooperate on that level. We've reached a stone wall. So, while in a certain way, yeah, okay. Newspeak is kind of like the political correct terminology. But uh, one is to shorten thought, and one is to expand human rights which in a way would expand consciousness so you gotta you gotta see the incentives and the motives and the benefits here sounds like he him they yes. her all of these things so again it's like wait. wow wait new speak sounds like pronouns we've been using pronouns for a while for a while or is it that he doesn't like that he has to use different pronouns for other people? That's why you settle for they, them. Because nobody has a problem being called they. It's neutral. It's not hard. You can actually be a considerate human being by changing one little aspect of yourself that doesn't say people have to fit into the specific gender roles that you see fit. It's pretty easy. How did he do this? In 1948, I'm not yeah. exactly sure. I think there's some relation to, you know, it's after World War II, and there, there's obviously some parallels to the way the Nazis use language and things like that. Um, but it's still, it's still pretty remarkable. And, and I guess the premise, as you touched on, yeah. is that if I change my words, if I change the language, I will change reality. Mm -hmm. This ties into the insistence of the government. You have to believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5, because if we all really believe that, then that will be true. And it seems to be the same thing when you call a he, when you call him 
her, you have really substantively changed who he is. Yeah, well, this what's interesting about this is... <laughs> Yeah, because gender is an artificial construct. That's how easy it is. Like, 2 plus 2 equals 5 is an artificial construct from the human mind. Because if you go into another alien planet and they've discovered mathematics, it's not going to be exactly 2 plus 2. But it may be of, you know, equivalency because we're seeming... Humans find math to be uh, um, written in stone. And it very much is so because if I have one finger and then I put up another finger, I have two fingers. Right? And if we argue these things, then we don't have reality. And that's the whole point of the 2 plus 2 equals 5 thing. But still remains the idea, the concept of numbers. We made it up. Just like we made up genders. They're tools. We make up tools. That's what we do. We create things to benefit ourselves. And gender, for a while, benefited people, but... Um, it's becoming a tool of oppression now, and it must be dismantled, if not abolished. I think when most people, maybe not my conservative friends, but when most people think of like the totalitarian authoritarian yeah. state coming, they always think it's going to be a far right state. Like the idea in 1984 is that the Ministry of Truth, like the, the whole apparatus is somehow thought of as far right, I yeah. think, is the idea. Um, if you like something like V for Vendetta, it's the idea is that it's this far right political machine that's silencing people and everything else. And yet, look what's happening in reality now. In reality now, it's this far left thing that's seemingly bubbling up from the bottom. Yeah, that's funny. Um, they are. They he he is right. They are all. Well, he's not right because he's saying they're seemingly far right movements. They are far right movements. Um, right wing movements have been known to be elitist, exclusionary. Um, they're not egalitarian. That's that's what the right ends up becoming eventually. But they don't want to equate fascism to themselves. They hate doing it so. But you can still do totalitarianism on their side, which you could say is, uh, is pretty close to fascism. Authoritarians over there, too. Um, <laughs> God damn it. But it's it's that double it's that double think method to uh, to have that opposing party to appear as the evil doer. Um, and as Americans, we uphold freedom to the highest uh, caliber. It's it's the it's the pinnacle of what we can become. It's free. That's the pinnacle. That's 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 our whole idealism. Freedom. So their objective is to paint left wing movements uh, as anti freedom movements by using 1984 to reappropriate the message of 1984 which simply was what it's like to live in fascism. That's all 1984 was written for. Well, what it would be like to live in a technologically advanced fascism. But they're using that because they have an opposition, because they want you to see the anti-freedom while they slowly and quietly in the House, well, not actually in the House because they don't hold the House, but in the Senate, um, to slowly erase your rights. Just think about Lindsey Graham and the EARN Act, E-A-R-N. Go look it up. And that's an interesting flip on mm. this. So it's it's one of those things where it's like there's so much truth, and yet there's still these like offshoots where you can kind of go, oh, it's not exactly right, but it's like 
it's pretty much there. Well, even slightly beyond 1984, but still on the themes. And that's the interesting part, is that the party is in power. Um, that's why it's fascinating to me that he's they're trying to paint the left-wing movement as the fascists because they are not in power. They have little to no power. And if Joe Biden is to get into that position, um, that isn't going to help BLM that much. Uh, Obama didn't do much for them either. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we, we actually have no hope whatsoever in neoliberals. So. And still on George yeah. Orwell. George yeah. Orwell wrote a very famous essay called Politics in the English Language. Mm -hmm. And in it, he says that the word fascism no longer has any meaning. All fascism means is something <laughs> I don't like. And That's not what he said. Politics in the English Language. Mm -hmm. And in it, he says that the word fascism no longer has any meaning. All fascism means is something <laughs> I don't like. And when you look around today, that, that word, probably more than any other word, has been abused beyond having any meaning. Yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things is the way that we all... Hold on, Dave. I'll let you get into that. Um, let's see here. Written April 1946. Let's see here. Let's see here. We have a quote here that's from his communist pamphlet that says, All the best people from the gentlemen's clubs and all the frantic fascist captains united in common hatred of socialism and bestial horror at the rising tide of the mass revolutionary movement have turned to acts of provocation, to foul incendiarism, to medieval legends of poisoned wells, <laughs> to legalize their own destruction of proletarian organizations, and rouse the agitated petty bourgeoisie to chauvinistic fervor on behalf of the fight against the revolutionary way out of the crisis. Man, no matter what, Orwell's is always on point, and it's fucking hilarious that I ended up finding a perfect quote that describes both what Michael Knowles and Dave Rubin are doing right now. Yes. Um, I don't see here about fascism being what people don't like, because that's not what George Orwell would uh, believe He doesn't. He would. He would be much more um, descriptive in fascism. In fact, so descriptive he would write an entire book about what it would be like to live in a technologically advanced fascist state. So, what a misconception! <laughs> but that's just them reappropriating a socialist ideas for conservative agenda. Let's see. I don't see anything here about specifically about fascism just being whatever people don't think agrees with them. Hmm. I'm just going to go a little bit further down to see if I can see something. I don't even really see fascism in the. I only saw it earlier. But this is also like a pretty long essay here. But I think the whole thing was actually about using language and politics. So I actually might need to look this up. I want to see this part here talking about meaningless words. 
I haven't read this before, but now I'm very interested. In certain kinds of writing, particularly in art criticism and literary criticism, it is no normal to come across long passages which are almost completely lacking in meaning. Words like romantic, plastic, values, human, dead, sentimental, natural, vitality, as used in art criticism, are strictly meaningless, in the sense that they not only do not point to any discoverable object, but are hardly ever expected to do so by the reader. Yep, so I don't even think that whole essay has anything really to do with fascism. But again, uh, point number four here from his communist pamphlet uh, specifically speaks about, uh, let's see, uh, frantic fascist captains united in common hatred of socialism and bestial horror at the rising tide of the mass revolutionary movement, also known as Black Lives Matter, also known as defund the police. Uh, also known as Feds Go Home, also known as uh, Occupy Wall Street, have turned to acts of provocation, speaking of the fascist captains, to foul incendiarism, to medieval legends of poisoned wells, to legalize their own destruction of proletarian organizations, and rouse the agitated petty bourgeois to chauvinistic fervor on behalf of the fight against the revolutionary way out of the crisis. That's what, exactly what these two are doing. It's funny. We're all guilty of it at times, the way we all can use these words to yeah. mean more than they're supposed to mean or we widen them. But look, this is something we've talked about forever. You call everybody a Nazi, congratulations, now nobody's a yeah. Nazi. You call everybody a fascist, and then when the real fascists come, nobody is gonna be is gonna be listening or paying attention. You know, it's the boy who cried wolf in essence. So I think there's are they deep down, like, actually just fascists? Because the, the, the way that they actually can't even recognize true fa fascistic behavior, just it tells me that they're playing a game of secret fascists and they're all holding liberal cards. But in reality, they're actually just fascists. Hmm. There's just sort of this endless... There's this endless destruction of everything that's true. I guess that's really what the book is about in many ways more than anything else. Yes. That there, there, there is truth. There actually is truth. And there actually... It's not what the book's about. It doesn't focus in on just truth. That's only a small piece of the whole uh, scope of oppression that fascism needs to apply the pressure of the boot to your face. actually is history. And there actually is time and a, and a, a chronology that shows us what is real. But if you can destroy that, yeah. if you can destroy that fabric, you can get people to say two plus two is five, and it'll make sense. So I'm obviously Whenever frustrated uh, as I read this yeah, because yeah, yeah. I look around and I say, oh my gosh, it's really happening. There's like, this one bit this of the story that a lot of people don't talk about, but there, there's this recurring old nursery rhyme that Winston and Julia keep going back to, and the line goes, Oranges and lemons, say the bells of St. Clement's. You owe me three farthings, say the bells of St. Martin's. And they, they seem to get this real joy, this real pleasure out of going back to just some nursery rhyme. It certainly doesn't sound like anything that now the party-controlled language talks about anymore. So there's this, this other part where Winston is getting, getting down and dirty with Julia, right? She tells him that she's been with lots of men before him. And instead of being repulsed by that, Winston gets excited and he says... Anything that hinted at corruption always filled him with a wild hope. Mm -hmm. In this clinical, ideological society, how is it that actually a little bit of corruption fills you with hope? Well, because humans are supposed to use their imagination. We're supposed to hope. We're supposed to dream. We're supposed to have passion. We're supposed to 
have sex. We're yeah. supposed to live, right? Like we're supposed to do all of supposed those things. Supposed to make mistakes. You're supposed to make mistakes. You're, right. You're supposed to do things so that you can either realize they're good things to do that fulfill you, or maybe they don't, or they do in the short term, and then you have to reevaluate and all those things. But in a super sterilized world, yeah. when you can never break that conformity, then the tiniest hint, oh, I'm sleeping with somebody who's really been around the block, yeah. <laughs> is suddenly really, is suddenly really, really exciting. And by the way, we see many versions it's of that right now with political that. correctness, which is sort of like, if you keep everybody completely politically correct all the time, yeah. suddenly we'll all start nope. wanting to be not politically correct. Now, I think <laughs> now that's I good. disagree. <laughs> he was on to something, and then all of a sudden he's like, when you try to get people to not be racist, that just makes them want to be racist even more. Right now, right? We need more people <laughs> to break out of it. But, you know, the idea of political correctness generally comes, I think, like most things, it's the road to hell is paved with good intentions. When people say I, they want to be politically correct, they want to make sure that people aren't offended. Now, yeah. you do that too long, and what are you left with? You're left with just nothing. You're left with an inability to do anything. You just have to consider what things are actually harmful to marginalized people. It's just being consciously aware because you live in a society. Stop being a dickhead. Anything. So when we watch people cancel each other on Twitter and we watch mobs and everything go after everybody, in a way, they're, they're trying to pretend they're pious. Hmm. I'm so great. Right. And if anyone else steps out of line and says something that, that I don't like, I don't believe, I'll destroy them because... All right. Uh, I will also admit there is a bit of to toxicity in cancel culture. There's a bit of like a fervor. It's true that like a lot of people, a lot of people within Twitter, they want to find an outlet for their outrage. Um, so I don't agree with uh, that method at all because there are times where uh, cancel culture has attacked uh, the livelihoods of people who they just took it too far. Um, mainly because they're just angry and we're all just very angry at the world but cancel culture is not always the answer especially when it's for uh, comrades or people who are uh, helpful to the movement of people's rights and, and and of the like so i'm so much better because i'm so much better and because yeah. human nature can be perfected or i mean that's well, sort of, of course it can be uh, of course we're on the path there if and only we had the right language and, and the, the right erasure language. of time and the erasure of statues a little more and power. everything else a little, a little more, more power, power is always good this yeah. is why when i think of i i just want to add here because like everybody knows but it just it should be said emphatically that we're not trying to erase history we're actually trying to acknowledge it actually trying to look at it trying to become aware of it <laughs> Newspeak. When I think of Winston talking about the it. corruption, it reminds me that political correctness, which is our own version of Newspeak, is, it doesn't just divide along ideological lines perfectly, mm -hmm. or rather, should I say, partisan lines. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's only Democrats and no Republicans. Absolutely. And actually, a, a, what a lot of surveys show is that a big dividing line is wealth, how much money you make. People who would be considered by the lights of our society elites tend to be much more okay with political correctness than people who are at the lower rung. What's the difference between an old crazy woman and an old eccentric woman? It's money, That's right? <laughs> you're, if you're an old woman with no money and you're babbling on, there. you're the they're crazy cat lady, the, and if you're an old woman who's rich, you, oh, she's eccentric. She's really what a character. Really yeah, that's it. I mean, that really is it. That's this is one of the famous lines that Winston writes in his, in his diary. He says, if there is hope, it lies in the proles. The proles, like the proletarians, or mm -hmm. the lower class of people, they don't really... 
You know why he uses that word? Because that's the word of the working class. The bottom of the barrel. Because George Orwell was a Marxist. They follow all these rules. They're kind of ignored by the, the party. There's another word for that. What's that? The deplorables. The Boom! Reappropriating leftist ideas for conservative agendas. Boom! <laughs> I, you know, and I, I can't really blame people who believe this stuff, right? Not Michael Mills and Dave Rubin. I blame them for perpetuating these ideas because there's much more unifying things that we could gather under. But I don't blame the people who listen to these guys and don't necessarily question the things that they're saying because neoliberalism has led to a lot of austerity for rural communities and those in the lower rung of society. So it may seem like the neoliberals combined with the leftist movements may be your enemy but really it's just the neoliberals <laughs> the deplorables the irredeemables yeah the irredeemables that that's exactly what it means it means that the it's not. if there's any hope it's that the people who the system it's the it, it means the same word that's in the communist manifesto not the deplorables system constantly throws out constantly mocks constantly uh tries to destroy they're the only ones who will be able to say something true. Yeah. Uh, even right now, just listening to, to what goes on in the, in the political uh, ether, it's like I hear a lot of people being like, you know, I'd love to pull a John Galt one day, you know, and just, just disappear altogether. Come from Ayn Rand, another from, from, great yeah, book yeah, to read I, these I, days. I assume yeah. you've done uh, Atlas Shrugged. Not gonna, yet. You haven't done but, it yet? Okay. But we have to do yeah, it. Yeah, so, but that people will just self-select out, and then you know who will be left? The only people who uh, will have a flicker of anything yeah. interesting to say will be the deplorables. Right. Yeah. This. Oh my God. They just wanted to talk about it. Ayn Rand real quick. They, like, I, I feel like conservatives can't talk about books without going outless shrugged all the time. Um, God damn it, Dave. Like how the fuck did that even make sense to you? Like going from the deplorables being the proletariats to talking about Iran. And then once, uh, the rich people all John Galt out of America that were somehow going to see uh, deplorables as the only enlightened ones. It's that, that, that's a circle jerk talk, you know, and honestly, it's it's little dick energy because the, the, the community is going to be the, the next renaissance in America. Um, we don't need the profiteering on top of it. We all we really need is the labor and the productivity deplorable issue I think comes up. I think there is a sense that the, the elites are just not even aware. The party is not even aware of, of the, the seeds of its own destruction. But there is a little bit of a performance. Kind of feels like now, doesn't kind of, it? It does. Yeah. But the, the performance is what worries me even most. You, you, you mentioned Twitter. Yeah. On Twitter, it seems Many like times. every day now some random person is plucked out of obscurity. <laughs> we are all whipped up into a frenzy to hate this they person. They did something in Central Park that I, I didn't yeah. like that she yelled at a guy or whatever. Yeah. And now we, this person is dog. the villain of the country. Yes. And then it that's gone. goes down the memory hole. Remember, another term that comes from 1984 yeah. we, is completely <laughs> erased and forgotten about. There is a, a category in 1984 called Two Minutes Hate mm -hmm. every day. All the people in the party are whipped up yep. to hate the yep. villain, the rebel. Yep. 
And I mean, cancel culture does look like that. It does. It does look like uh, minutes of hate. Um, but like I, I, I probably have said before in past broadcasts that um, at times cancel culture is a necessary evil. Um, at other times, it's just evil. But uh, canceling certain Nazis, not even evil. That's that's some necessary shit. Um, Nazis should be deplatformed. They should go into their own kind of dark web and uh, just stay there. I guess I am a segregationist. But I want to segregate Nazis. So... Oh, fuck, man. So much for the tolerant left. The Goldstein. Goldstein is the yeah. man. They put him on the TV screen. Yeah. You gotta just hate this guy. Yeah. Two minutes, then it's over, then you move on. Yeah, sort of feels like The Purge, right? The movie The Purge. I mean, right. the idea is you get one day a year to do all the horrible stuff. That's yeah. what the movie yeah. The Purge is about. Yeah. And yes, this is what we do. We find these people who are nobodies that have no effect over your life that you've never heard of. They did something you don't like. Ah, destroy them yeah. and what's and really it's never about them right it's always about the signal that that sends across the world which is you don't want to be that guy right. you don't want to be that guy but wait there, there's yeah, one other it, thing it, i want to touch on Winston, shaming. which is as he's working at the ministry of truth and as he's obscuring reality and, and changing words and all of this stuff he's miserable yeah and i think that that's actually really interesting because i think if we look at the people who are the most politically correct mm. now they are miserable <laughs> because that is not, it's anti-human in many ways. To, to be so against thought, to be so... I wish he could provide examples of people who are uh, in the political, quote-unquote, political correctness movement, and they're miserable because they uh, don't spend their time disparaging mar marginalized or minority groups. Who, who is miserable because they can't use oppressed people as their lightning rods? Because I find people who have to have lightning rods are probably the more miserable people. I am actually fairly miserable, and that's why I'm using Dave Rubin and Michael Knowles to be my light, lightning rods. But also because they espouse shitty opinions. Yeah. So that has a lot to do with it, too. Go against someone joking, even if that joke crosses whatever your subjective line is. To be so against that is actually the reverse of what being a human is, which is about using your mind. So I think it's just sort of interesting that the people that were the ones putting this stuff into the world were miserable are the most miserable yeah. and winston he needs to take shots of this gross gin just mm -hmm. to get through the day but then when he's got this love you have to also consider his material conditions his apartment was a tv that watched him all the time and also a bed and a desk and then maybe there's a kitchen i don't remember hearing about a kitchen in it and then also too you have to consider all they had to drink was freedom gin they had freedom cigarettes which were poorly packed and very terrible tasting they also had their food in the cafeterias that were miserable they constantly had eyes around them making sure that they didn't step out of line lest they get snitched away to the party there's a lot of conditions to it that aren't just the fact that he works at the ministry of uh, truth that actually has to do with him just living in Oceania underneath a fascist boot. That's what makes him miserable. Not that he has a job, a specific job. In fact, he liked his job. That was actually the pretty much the only thing he put as much passion into as much as the resistance movement that lasted for about 15 minutes. He liked doing his job. That that wasn't what made him made him miserable. It was the party itself. It was the world he lived in. So. 
Um, I, again, I don't think Dave Rubin either didn't read the book or just didn't understand it. ...affair, this little secret hideout with, with Julia, all of a sudden he doesn't need the gin, he doesn't need the substances. And by the way, you know, they've done a couple articles I've seen about Facebook censors that all become alcoholics and miserable yeah. and suicidal, I'm not kidding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I actually talked about the uh, article where Facebook had to put up money to send a lot of their, um, what are they called, uh, moderators. They had to be sent to therapy for PTSD. But it's not because they're editing truths. It's because they have to go through all the complaints and they see a lot of dark shit in those complaints. Because they're literally doing the exact same thing. If they were doing the exact same thing, they would be going through like Washington Post articles and changing those facts. That's not what they do. They go through flag down posts to make sure that they're uh, not violating terms of service. And some of them violate terms of service so hard that they affect them inside of, they affect the moderators within their minds because of the dark type of shit that people can think of. Winston is doing, they're, they're looking out on Facebook and they're going, what can we get rid of? What word is okay? What word is not okay? Do I kind of like this guy? Then I can let that one slide. Do I don't like this guy? So we got to take care of that. And they become miserable because of it. But the most depressing part of this book, the yes. I know, I thought yes. we'd already got well And again, again, just to remind you, Winston liked his job. Yeah, he actually took a lot of pride in his work. Yeah. So it was funny because when I was rereading it, I was like, there has to be something at the end that will that will kind of <laughs> no. like want us to continue. Right. Especially people like no. us that put our thoughts out there. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't really give no. you anything. The, the most depressing part of this book for me is that there's this rebellion that, you know, this this revolution, the two minutes of hate, Goldstein. Mm -hmm. Right. He, Goldstein has a secret book mm -hmm. and the book is going to tell you all about that party. And it's going to. So Winston meets these other people in the inner party. They give him the secret book. He reads the secret book and it turns out it's a setup or, or if it's not a setup, right. it's still it's a, a setup because yeah. he's given the, the book by a member of the inner party that even in this system, it even has its own opposition within it. There is no escape. Right. Even that opposition might be a false hope or a safety valve on the utter oppression. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, I think this is what people would say is sort of like our political system now is like this sort of fake duopoly. Yes. Right. It's like this fake. We've got, you know, the Democrats. Are I, I, I agree with his his assessment of our democracy. We have a very poor duopoly. But that's not equivalent to the idea of uh, the, the resistance movement. Um, it, it kind of is just because we do think that the Democrats and the Republicans are different from each other when really, like Obama said, they're fighting in between the 40 yard lines. But the idea of creating a resistance movement to start a revolution or to bring out dissidents uh, to then reprogram them, punish them or do with them as they see fit, that's not equivalent to a two party system. Um, that's a that's a whole another level of shit. They're the liberals and the Republicans, the conservatives, whatever. And it's like, it seemingly is that those are the only choices. And yes, as long as the system only allows those choices, yeah. well, then those are the only choices. But are those really the only choices? You got to believe this or you got to believe this. I mean, no one really lives their life like that. Um, but unfortunately, the whole system, and in this case, everything that, that he was led to believe, 
leaves you with that. And, and that uncomfortability is even worse. This is knowing the, yeah. about it, right? Like it's easier to just be a guy on one side or the other side, whatever it is, and then just run with it. But to know it and then be like, ah. What do I do now? Because you look and it seems like no matter who wins the election, no matter which party wins, certain things just keep on happening. We lose more and more of our freedoms. We rack up more and more of our debt. The culture keeps going more and more in one direction. It, it doesn't seem to matter who wins. I dare make a pro-Trump uh, comment. I don't know if I'm allowed. But, we'll certainly uh, be censored uh, by uh, the yeah, Ministry but, of Truth but, on it, the internet. Somebody's not gonna be happy about this. <laughs> but in many ways, when I was rereading it, I kept thinking, man, what they needed was a Trump. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> oh what was Trump, God. or what is Trump? He just sort of broke through all of hmm. this. If you're, if you're talking about how do you break the duopoly, how do you break the mm. false choices, how do you break... I don't remember what it's called. There's a, there's like a, a certain term for that. I can't remember. It has something to do, not white savior complex, but it's almost like a, let's see... Like savior complex. Yeah, yeah, that's a savior complex. A psychological construct which makes a person feel the need to save other people. Nope. Uh, Messiah complex, there it is. Just believes that he or she is a savior today or he or she will be. There's something where uh, you believe that you need. Uh, someone else to solve your problems for you and that's basically what David Rubin is saying here is that we needed we always needed a Trump Trump was the one who saved us from a 1984 dystopian future when in reality he was the one pushing us further into it break po political correctness all of these things who has been the greatest breaker of those things it's been Trump so it's like in a weird way if the book had ended and there suddenly was this person who was just willing to do it for some very bizarre reason and perhaps he was orange and had weird hair yeah. like then I guess you see some hope but you, you don't get the orange I guy. hate to be more pessimistic yeah. than you because I, I I see the same sort of thing you do yeah I think part of the reason why people in both parties don't like Donald Trump is because he broke the rules he kind yeah. of, he messed up the system a little though I do think it sort of remains to be seen if that will have a lasting effect or if the culture and the the politics keeps careening in this same direction yeah a question I want to leave you on is yeah. how do you think he did it what was it that he saw in the 1940s that could predict our present moment yeah so I thought he saw fascism in Italy Spain Germany. <laughs> what is up with these people? He saw fascism in the creation of the television. Uh, it's boom. Not a lot about that because I had a feeling you might come at me with a question like that. <laughs> and as I sort of referenced earlier, so okay, so he wrote it in the late '40s. So you're coming off of World War II. Uh, World War II. Yeah. Wow. Um, so profound. I, so I don't know specifically, and I'm sure people have, have thought about this a lot, and I was really trying to think through. I think maybe more than anything else, what makes good literature or what makes a good movie or, or any piece of art that's true is that it is able to capture something that is timeless. And, and the, the struggle constantly, you know, this is why the struggle right now, even though Fascism we think of it timeless. as Democrat versus Republican or Trump versus Biden say. or whatever right. it is, it's like all it really is always is 
you versus the system. It's the individual versus the system. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the system is better, uh, meaning it's, it's more open to freedom and more open to individuals, and sometimes it's not. And I think mm -hmm. that that is what was carried through from 1948-49 into 2020. And it feels right now that the system is very against the individual, you know, and... Mm -hmm. and I think that that might yeah, be. Yeah, I don't know. Do you have, do you have a better answer on that? I'd I like don't know if I have a better do. answer. I I I think your point is right that George Orwell is this individualist, you know, and he's kind of looking out at the system. Though I again might have a more pessimistic view. We missed it uh, on your point about literature. It, it would seem to me we can see communism fails because it just totally misunderstands human nature. Mm -hmm. The way communism ends up is so different from the theory of communism. They're so right. disconnected that it can't work. And the same thing is true of fascism. I think the question we're maybe trying to deal with now- You know what's is, funny is that, is that like, you know, I don't, I don't like China. I don't really like the Communist Party of China. I don't think it's actually communist, but when they talk about the failures of communism, they don't necessarily bring up China as much because right now it's a success story of state capitalism under the guise of communism so it, it's funny that when they whenever they talk about the fail of communism they never really bring up china as it is now um but let's see here outspoken support of democratic socialism that says right there of george orwell eric author uh eric arthur blair known by his pen name george orwell was an english novelist essayist journalist and critic his work is characterized by lucid prose biting social criticism, opposition to totalitarianism, and outspoken support of democratic socialism. Yep. And like I said, he joined the Spanish anarchists in the POUM, P-O-U-M, to fight against fascism in Spain. So. True of liberalism, too. We've got these three great ideologies of modernity, fascism, communism, and liberalism. We thought that liberalism was the last one standing. It's the end of history. That's what we were told, at least, by the, the people at the end of the Cold War. Well, maybe history takes a little bit longer to resolve, and and as you, know, you this is what you're bringing to me at the end. You're <laughs> handing me the is liberalism dead at the end of this thing. You know, I mean, I, this is my life's work. I know this is the, this is the real thing. I didn't. You, you thought that this was an incredible sham to get me here. <laughs> you thought 1984 was depressing at the end. Yeah. this is the this, most depressing. This, but well, I'm really I am glad you brought that up though because that that is the part of me that that is fearful of what is happening right now is yeah. that that the experiment of liberalism and the experiment of free speech and enlightenment and all those things that it really does feel like it's getting to its end right now that the yeah. end of it is that this this more liberal supposedly this right. ultra lefty progressive thing will come in through the soft spot of liberalism the yeah. openness of liberalism yes. and yeah. and nice. Dismantle every statue, destroy every university. That's the weakness in Biden that they're all afraid of. But Biden wouldn't have those big of reforms. Crush every newspaper. I mean, everything. All the that, great achievements of liberalism. And that's exactly what this book is about. Yeah. So how he saw it, I guess, yes, it is a connection between 10 years before the Nazis were literally burning books. What are we doing right now? Yeah. We are, we're not burning books yet, although NPR did put out that thing about how you have to decolonize your bookshelf, which <laughs> right. in essence is a modern book burn burning. The books. They're yeah. not gonna not write, really. oh, burn all your books, but they will say, get rid of bad books. Yeah. Taking your books, Getting rid of them, donating them, doing what you have to do to get rid of them as an individual is not the same as a country getting together to burn all literature known to man. 
Or at least all literature that goes against your beliefs. 1984? Right. This this is it. I, I wish that we could have a greater chilling, hope here, man. but we can't. It is yeah. a little chilling. So what is the hope? What, what really is the hope? Because as I was reading the end, I kept thinking, maybe I'm forgetting that there is a glimmer of hope at well, the end. You know what? Here is my hope, I suppose, yeah. at the end, which is a little bit of a plug for this show as well. You cannot remain a slave if you are literate and you read. You can't do it. This is why all the totalitarian regimes in history have tried to burn all of the books, have tried to stop people from reading, have tried to have anti-literacy laws. And what George Orwell is describing here, the reason it resonates with not just now, perhaps at a particularly Orwellian moment, but it has resonated for so many years, is because he is describing something that we know is real, something that we experience to varying degrees throughout our entire relationship to politics. Mm -hmm. And as they burn the books, as they topple the statues, as they erase the history, as they memory hole, everything that we cherish. You see what they're doing? Like, nobody's burning the books. Fresh that we, we thought we could rely on. There is still a little bit of hope. They moved decluttering to burning. <laughs> I think for those of us who are willing to crack the spine of a book or two and see the vast difference between reality and all the propaganda that the system is spewing at us. All right, I'm going to end it. I don't care what their answer is. This is the end of the episode. But to answer that, Michael Knowles is wrong. The best way to actually question everything is not to read a book that Michael Knowles tells you to read. In fact, the best way to expand your knowledge and open your mind is actually to take in different propagandas. I'm a leftist, but I watch a fuck ton of right-wing propaganda because I think maybe someday they're going to have a logical argument that's going to leap, you know, persuade me in some form or fashion, but that has yet to happen because most of it is based on irrational emotions to fit an objective of closing uh, individual rights for the sake of business ventures. So, uh, he's wrong. Uh, the best way to actually expand your intelligence is to take in more than just PragerU, more than just Daily Wire, more than just the right-wing stuff you take in. Try to get in as many leftists as you can as well, because the more you uh, obtain from the left and right-wing, both wings, the higher you can fly. Yep, that was my cheesy end to what has been a great pizza pie of knowledge and uh, human growth. Um, if you enjoyed that, do all those things that people say at the end of their videos. Um, find me on your favorite podcasting streaming. Go to poordumbrebellion.net where I put up my little scribbling writings. And uh, don't forget to stay revolutionary and also ultra healthy. Uh, I'll be back with more Debunk the Right. Thank you, and I love you.